0: Welcome to episode 37 of Behind the Mission, a show that sparked a conversation with Sycharmer trusted partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on all the podcast players or by going to sycharmer.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us on Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by the generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. This episode is brought to you by PsychArmor, the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military cultural content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners as well as custom training options for organizations. You can find more about PsychArmor at psycharmor.org. On today's episode, we'll be featuring a conversation with Dr. Matt Miller, the director of the Suicide Prevention Program for the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. As we're nearing the end of Suicide Prevention Month, we wanted to highlight the work that Dr. Miller and his team were doing. This conversation was previously recorded as part of a limited series podcast produced in partnership with Military Times called Seeking the Military Suicide Solution and is reproduced here by permission. Dr. Miller leads a team dedicated to the implementation and reinforcement of evidence-based community and clinical interventions addressing suicide prevention. Previously, he served as the director of the Veteran Crisis Line, and under his leadership, the Veteran Crisis Line became the world's largest and most efficient suicide crisis call center. Dr. Miller is an Air Force veteran. He served as a clinical psychologist and the chief of mental health at a joint services pilot training wing at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, and was responsible for overseeing mental health operations for all active duty service members and dependents, as well as head of the installation's suicide prevention program. You can find out more about Dr. Miller by checking out his bio in our show notes. Let's get into my conversation with him and come back afterwards to talk about some of the key points. Focusing on suicide in the veteran population with the VA, um, what what do we know that works with preventing suicide in the veteran population?
1: we know that uh, and it's a question that um we all are are constantly asking in the context of such an important issue where lives are are truly on the line on a on a daily basis in, in terms of what we know works we know that a public health approach to suicide prevention is evidence-based and uh, work. A a public health approach means that, kind of consider it like an equation where you have an equal sign and on the right-hand side of the equal sign you have public health approach. So really then what's on the left-hand side of the equal sign? There's two things. Number one, there's clinically-based interventions. And then number two, there's community-based intervention, and they those two clinically based interventions and community-based interventions are joined by a plus sign. So clinically based interventions plus community-based interventions equals a true public health approach. If you altered the left-hand side of that equation and were to say, for example, uh, clinical, clinically-based interventions minus community-based interventions, you would not have public health approach on the other side of the equal sign. If you were to remove the equation and simplify it, let's say, and uh, simply put that uh, clinically based interventions equal a public health approach or community based interventions equal a public health approach you would not have a true public health approach. So what we're learning works. The direction that we're learning and verifying that we need to head with the critically important issue of suicide prevention is the clinically-based interventions plus the community-based interventions together and within an integrated plan, strategy, and delivery system, such as the VA. Now, in terms of, of what works and what we're seeing here, uh, within each of those two important components, our 2019 uh, Annual Suicide Prevention Report provides some insight, for example, Under uh, clinically-based interventions, we see from the 2017 report, or 2019 report based upon 2017 data, that there has been a decrease in the suicide rate for veterans diagnosed with a depressive disorder and receiving VHA care. I asked the team if they could convert that rate of decrease into a calculated figure for live saved from the 2016 data to the 2017 data based upon the rate decrease. So they came back to me and they said, Matt, this translates to 87 live saved from 2016 to 2017 of individuals, veterans diagnosed with depression and in VHA care. Mm-hmm. 87 lives saved. Mm-hmm. That's that's significant. Right. That tells us that evidence-based care can be effective and is effective and can save 87 lives, if not more, um, when implemented in an evidence-based uh, manner. So that's a, that's a anchor of hope that we hang in hang on to, and as a data point in terms of that which is um effective. We also know that if you take a look, this gets a little mathy, but if you take a look at the slope of increase for suicide among veterans, and you were to compare the, the slope, the increase uh for veterans in VHA care versus veterans not in VHA care. The this, the slope, the rise is significantly different between veterans in VHA care and veterans not in VHA care. And it's much lower for veterans in VHA care versus not. Specifically, there's about a 1% slope rise, if you will, for veterans in VHA care compared to over 11% for veterans not in VHA care. So all this to say, Dwayne, and all this to get back to the point that under the heading of clinically-based interventions, We know that there are things that work that we continue then to press forward with and find new ways to implement now in 2019 going into 2020 under the clinically based interventions heading. Under the community based interventions heading, we know from our clinic practice guidelines issued by the VA and DOD in a national leading collaborative effort that lethal mean safety is a very effective tool on the population community-based level for suicide prevention. So that's something that we look to move forward and have developed a uh, toolkit for safe firearm storage in the community that represents a partnership between us, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and the National Shooting Sports uh, Foundation. So there, there's a couple of specific points, uh, I think, in reference to your very
0: good question. You know, that's uh, I really appreciate that visualization because I'm thinking about other um, public health dilemmas, um, and, and how that would translate. So, um, when it comes to smoking cessation, nobody doubts whether or not there is a clinical approach, a medical approach really, um, but a clinical approach plus a community approach. Um, let's say with, uh, reduced drunk driving, um, that's not the, not necessarily a medical thing, and so it's not really a clinical approach required. Um, but the unique aspect of suicide, because it's psychological and it impacts the community, um, the two things are combined. And so it's much more in line with something like smoking cessation or reducing obesity or heart, heart risk, uh, cardiac risk. Um,
1: Yeah, there's there's parallels there, but let's even go back. Let's go back to the um, let's go let's go back to the driving while intoxicated example that you nicely cited. We could take a look at that across community and clinical. So on the community-based intervention levels, you can have very effective public messaging campaigns that okay. highlight the impact of driving while intoxicated on the individuals' lives and on the community as a whole. And and everyone listening right now can think probably and see some of those images from those campaigns. On the clinical side, you can think, well, there may be individuals who have a substance use disorder and they would benefit from evidence-based alcohol addiction, alcohol dependence, or alcohol abuse uh, treatment. And as they engage in that treatment, yes, it, it, it will positively impact that which we're doing more broadly with regard to decreasing um, uh, driving while intoxicated uh, incidents and impact. But if, if, if you were to just rely on the clinically-based interventions to address this, you, you wouldn't possibly cover the entire spectrum that you need because every situation doesn't necessarily entail alcohol dependence or an, or an alcohol um, abuse disorder. Sometimes it does, and therefore it's important to have that treatment available and evidence-based. But it also involves a community approach of messaging to everyone in the community, whether you may be working
0: through an alcohol use uh, or abuse problem or not. And maybe we won't answer it in, in this short of time, but why is it different than when it comes to suicide? Because in the community, the minute somebody says suicide, it becomes something for the experts to do. It's not something yeah. for the, the barista or the mechanic or the plumber.
1: Which is exactly, exactly, Dwayne, what we're trying to change. If you take a look at our Be There campaign and you take a look at what we talked about extensively during the month of September and Suicide Prevention Month, you just hit the nail on the head on our theme. Our theme under Be There was everyone has a role to play with Suicide prevention. A, a good example of this, I think, is uh, some work being done by a colleague of ours out in um, out in Oregon. And what they found at the local community level, when they really dove into some things regarding what's happening with suicide in our community, they found the last twenty four to forty eight hours of individuals' lives prior to suicide. They commonly, in that area, visited um, animal shelters and hotels. You say, well, why animal shelters? Well, they were arranging plans and care for their beloved pets. Why hotels? They were often going there as a location so that they weren't in a home setting impacting their family or loved ones in a more perceived adverse way. So based upon that data, a team deployed training and gatekeeper training for suicide prevention at animal shelters locally and at local hotels, teaching individuals in those settings, individuals on the front lines. They're not clinical psychologists. They're not primary care physicians. They're good people working at animal shelters and hotels, teaching them how to recognize warning signs, teaching them what to do when they recognize these warning signs, and then engaging based upon that information. It's one of the few counties in our nation that's actually seen a decrease in suicide. So that gets to the point and reinforces exactly what we're trying to accomplish with Be There. Now, some may say, Matt, you're abdicating your responsibility here you're trying to put suicide prevention on the front line individuals while people like you um aren't doing what they need to do. I say, I I agree. That's why we have, and that's the importance of the additive model of the public health approach. It's important that you do have those clinically based interventions available and access to those clinically based interventions. But you know what? Although there's a relationship between depression and suicide, there's not always a relationship between suicide and depression. So you need to be able to have the clinically-based interventions that address depression, that, uh, that depress substance use disorder, that address um, relationship problems and issues. But you also need to have the community-based intervention approach where all of us are looking out for each other and all of us are ready to engage Um when we see something. Dwayne, I I give an example, a personal example of this from my own life. It's it's a little bit of an apples to oranges comparison, but I'll share it. I I often tell of a time where I had my four daughters and we were out for dinner and we were at a restaurant that was called Smoke and Charlie's at the time. And uh, we were sitting there and all of a sudden I heard some coughing uh, over my shoulder behind me. And one of my daughters who was sitting across from me said, Daddy, is, is that guy choking? I turned around and I looked and there was a man standing at his table and he had all the hallmark signals and signs of choking. He was mm-hmm. coughing. He was holding and grasping his throat. He was leaning over. He had the look of desperation on his face. And I my first thought was, I hope someone does something about that. Mm -hmm. And my second thought was, Matt, you could do something. You, you You could do the Heimlich. And then my next thought was, what if I screwed up? What if I don't do it right? What if I don't help? And so this time that I was thinking and churning on these issues, someone stood up, someone administered the Heimlich maneuver on this individual, and they dislodged. The potato chip that this individual was choking on, and this individual lived. And I step back from that as ashamed I am of that example. I think it provides an illustration of the role we can all play. I don't need to be a cardiologist. I don't need to be a pulmonologist to administer the Heimlich Maneuver for someone at Smoking Charlie's who's choking on a potato chip. I can be the person beside him that simply engages the Heimlich Maneuver and saves a life. And in that same way, the community and everyone therein has a role to play with see something, do something. Yeah. Do we not need pulmonologists? Do we not need cardiologists? Do we not need EMS to show up and still do a follow-up check to make sure the individual is okay? Yes, we need all of that. So that illustrates the community plus the clinical coming together in a life-saving daily way.
0: You know, so that, uh, and and obviously the the thing that works is the connection between the community and uh, clinically based practices, again, needing both of those uh, to balance the equation. Uh, And that's also illustrating the gap that occurs because we don't have that connection um yeah. we as clinicians i and, and i'm i'm saying it often on the show and i'm going to say it often uh, in my community if we had the solution then the problem would be solved by now but we're not the first exactly. one in contact right the yep, exactly. the em the ems was not the first person to come in contact the gentleman in the restaurant you know so that's uh, it illustrates both what's working and uh, and the gap and even, you know, maybe what actions people can take is to, you know, learn and and be educated on the science of symptoms. But for listeners, what's not working? Right. There's something that people that, that people, you know, think that is effective or is working that's not working when it comes to preventing suicide.
1: Hmm. Oh, I think what's not working is a over reliance on to the exclusion of. Uh, The other, an over-reliance on clinically-based interventions to the exclusion of community-based interventions. And conversely, an over-reliance on community-based interventions to the exclusion of um, continuing to attend to that, which we can do in furthering clinically-based intervention. What's also not working is when there's no plus sign between the clinically-based and the community-based. As you said, they're not talking or coordinating together. There, there, there's 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 a gap. There's There's no plus sign unifying them. Th- that scenario is gonna get us to a is going to keep us at a point where suicide prevention then as a whole is not working for our nation. And we see that historically. I mean, suicide is not a veteran-specific issue. It is an issue that impacts veterans in a meaningful way. It is an issue that we must continue to find ways to turn around and Address, but it occurs within a larger context of our United States population, our brothers and sisters therein, wherein suicide is on the rise across our nation as a whole. It's been rising since 1999. It's the 10th leading cause of death in adults, but it's become the second leading cause of death in individuals aged 10 to 22. So this is a broader issue that merits a national level discussion, and the VA can lead the way within that in terms of veterans, veteran care, and that which we're doing to unify the clinical and the community.
0: Oh, I absolutely agree. I think um, one of the things that I've often said is, uh, you know, as veterans go, so go our nation. Um, Not that veterans need to be taken care of, but, you know, it is a microcosm. But if we can figure out how to address veteran homelessness, then we can apply those techniques to homelessness in the community. Mm -hmm. But with the veteran population, essentially it can be a test bed. But that's what you're talking about is if we can help solve this corner of what the issue is, then that's going to impact the issue overall.
1: Yes. Yeah. In some ways we are the canary and uh, we are going into places here that um, are are dark, that no one has been. And we are testing things here in the name of saving lives. Someone's got to do it. And uh, I'm proud to be part of the VA team uh, and the community that is doing this.
0: Yes, uh, I, and I I absolutely agree and and I thank you and your team um there's a lot of great work coming out um of the office of suicide prevention. Uh, like you said, your your lethal means um safety uh work especially uh, the the link between AFSP and the the National Sports Shooting Foundation. Great stuff um and and I really think that uh we're at a point where it's going to start uh um, having more momentum. I really appreciate you coming on the show today, Matt
1: you know, safe messaging and talking about suicide in a way that doesn't create fear, that doesn't promote stigma, but instead promotes awareness and promotes constructive engagement that's a big part of the battle here and what you're doing today is is being a frontline troop in that battle you're opening up the discussion you're destigmatizing you're offering suggestions for converting awareness into engagement so the thanks are due to you not not to me and to your audience
0: Once again, we would like to thank this week's sponsor, PsychArmor. PsychArmor is the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations. It was a privilege to be able to have had this conversation with Dr. Miller and hope to have him on an upcoming show to provide updates about their programs and progress that has been made related to reducing suicide in the military and veteran population. As we're closing out Suicide Prevention Month, I wanted to bring this conversation to the Behind the Mission audience as it's one of the clearest definitions of a public health approach to suicide prevention. Dr. Miller's equation related to clinical and community efforts, clinical interventions plus community-based interventions equals suicide prevention, is one that I have adopted and used with attribution since having this conversation with him. Consider the risk factors that could lead a service member or veteran to experience a suicidal crisis. There are psychological risk factors that can result from military service, such as PTSD, TBI, substance use, moral injury, relationship stress, and a lack of purpose and meaning in post-military life. These require interventions that are primarily clinical. A veteran resolves these concerns by consulting with a licensed mental health or medical professional. Then there are situational risk factors that many veterans experience. Homelessness, justice involvement, unemployment, access to lethal means, that require community-based interventions, such as veteran courts, veteran homelessness prevention programs, employment programs. If we're only focusing on the psychological risk factors, then we're not meeting the situational needs. And if we're only focusing on the situational risk factors, then we're not reducing the distress that comes from the psychological challenges. Both are needed. The problem, as I describe it, is that we're playing collaborative chess against a complex opponent, which is the veteran's risk factors for suicide. Consider a veteran who is experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder, has an undiagnosed traumatic brain injury, is using alcohol or other substances to cope with their situation, is angry, anxious, or depressed, feels like they have no meaning in post-military life, feels guilty about things they did while they were in the military, is unemployed or homeless, and is estranged from family and friends. They're involved in the criminal justice system, experiencing chronic pain, can't figure out how to navigate the health system to get the care that they need, is isolated, and feels like a burden to those around them, and they have access to lethal means of self-harm. This is the recipe for a suicidal crisis. If any of us knew of a veteran experiencing all of that, then we would do everything we can to get them help. But from a service provider perspective, consider the number of different people that have to address all of these things. On the clinical side, You have a therapist, a medication prescriber, a neurologist, an addiction counselor, a marriage and family therapist, and at least a primary care provider, if not a specialty medical provider. On the community intervention side, you have a case manager, peer specialist, employment specialist, housing provider, and a veteran court. If you're keeping score, that's 11 different individuals or organizations that are trying to address the complex problem of the veteran's risk factors. Imagine if those 11 people had control of one of the chess pieces on the prevention side. An entire set of pawns or a whole side of rooks would not be effective. You would need them all working in collaboration. Unfortunately, there's often little collaboration, so not all of the needs are met. Suicide in the military-affiliated population is not the problem that needs to be solved. Suicide is a lagging indicator of underlying problems, and it's the result of unmet needs, and those needs are both psychological and situational. As Dr. Miller describes in our conversation, meeting both of those needs is a critical aspect of suicide prevention, and it's the way that we're going to move the effort forward to reduce suicide in those who served and those who care for them. For this week's PsychArmor Resource of the Week, I'd like to share the PsychArmor course series for suicide prevention, intervention, and postvention. Suicide in America is a critical issue with high rates in service members, veterans, and their families. Asking the right questions and feeling confident about how to help are the first steps in preventing someone from dying by suicide. We hope that these courses will help you be a lifeline and be there for someone in need. With generous funding from the NFL Foundation, Psychomer Institute presents a portfolio that promises to provide vital education and information about suicide prevention, intervention, and postvention for healthcare care providers, service members, veterans, families, caregivers, and the community at large. You can get to this course series by going to a link in our show notes. So, thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find at psycharmor.org forward slash BTM37, as well as on the Psycharmor website. You will find the link to everything we talked about in today's show, as well as hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are committed to educating the civilian community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. Thank you for joining me on this episode and for continuing to join us on this journey. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care, and it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members and their families that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation, and make sure to engage with PsychArmor on social media to let us know what you think about the show. I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. This show was produced by Headspace and Timing and all rights to the show remain reserved by PsychArmor. Feel free to share the show. In fact, we would like for you to do that, but make sure you let folks know where you heard it. Join us next time for another great episode. And until then, stay aware, get educated and be well.